Well, Thanksgiving is coming to an end. I don't know if you knew that. Um, This is usually the Sunday where pastors fear because everyone is tryptophaned and familyed out uh, after the weekend. But uh, I trust that you just had a a blessed time over the last few days and a thankful time. And I'm just so thankful for you. In fact, so much so I decided to dress up for you today. Uh, Not only is Thanksgiving weekend coming to a close, but uh, we're coming to a close uh, today on our series through really what's been 1st and 2nd Samuel. And uh, it's uh, been raised through adversity, seeing David raised through adversity, and we've seen David sustained in adversity. And ultimately, it's not about David, it's about the Lord. And in that whole of it all, favorite verse of mine, 2 Samuel 4, 9, that says, the Lord has redeemed him. David is saying this, the Lord has redeemed me out of every adversity. Here's one of the things about that verse. That verse oftentimes gets misunderstood. Uh, The Lord has redeemed me out of every adversity. And, And oftentimes we think that, maybe it's because we want that to mean that the Lord takes me out of every problem of life that the Lord removes me from that. Actually, the idea of the text is saying that it is actually, and that's why the sermon series was named the way it was, that through adversity and in adversity, God does a redeeming work. There is a redeeming work that's be done in and through adversities. And listen, if one thing we've learned from the life of David, it's that, my goodness, from the very beginning to the end of of his life up to the point we've seen it at, it's been adversity after adversity after adversity, whether it's outside adversity brought in him, whether it's adversaries that are attacking him, whether it's himself being his own adversary in his life. We have seen David in and out through that. Hey, what if we began to see adversity adversities as opportunities rather than the thing that we're to get out of? What if we had an entire change of thinking that adversities of life are actually opportunities rather than the worst possible thing that could happen in life? I'm going to tell you, there's a game changer right there. We're going to dive into that a little bit today. Hey, uh, we're finishing up this series, and just so you know what's coming after this uh, in our time on this, uh, next Sunday we're beginning our Christmas series. Shout out for Christmas. Okay, yeah, way to go. Uh, Behold the glory. Behold the glory. We're going to be taking the month of December and doing a, a time of beholding the whole of the glory. You know, this is one of those Christmases we decided that the manger scene is going to be a part of it, but we're actually going to go back to the beginning. We're going to take a look at the end and we're going to bring it all into the manger reality. And we're going to behold the whole of it all. We're going to see the promise of it. We're going to see the prophecies of it. We're going to see the announcement of it. We're going to see the arrival of the birth. And we're also going to see the reigning reality of that comes out of the birth of Christ. So uh, it's gonna be just, I think, a delightful, and I'm really excited because I'm a whole picture guy. You just gotta see the whole picture before you understand where we are and what's going on. Uh, Also, then after that, just a note is next year, we really believe, and I'll say this, I really believe 2022 is gonna be a critical and an exciting and a key year for us as a church uh, into the future next year. 
I would encourage you to be here January 2nd, Sunday, January 2nd. Uh, online viewers, I love you, but now that's a Sunday to come together. Uh, if at all possible, January 2nd on that, if we can uh, be here together, not only would that be delightful just to all be together, but I'm going to be using that Sunday to talk about what the plan is on Sundays in the sermon series for Sundays in 2022 and where you're going. So you even kind of know what's happening with that. And I'll even kind of give you a teaser out. The key word that's going to be for next year is forward forward. We're actually going to take the month of January and kind of do some in-house talk about just what forward looks like for us as a church here and some of the things we've been working on through the month of January. Then we're going to be going into growing forward. I'm going to do a series that's deeper than I've ever done before uh, on uh, what it looks like to grow and change in Christ for real. And uh, we'll be doing that. Then later in the year, we're going to have a series on going forward, sent forward. And uh, you may think, well, you just gave me that Sunday right there. Um, no, come, we'll be talking more about that with it. All right? So if you would, for today, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, last Sunday was a looking back psalm. Uh, it was uh, actually 2 Samuel 22, which is repeated as Psalm 18. Today is a looking forward prophecy. It's only seven verses. Uh, and in these seven verses, what David is talking about, David, I believe, is 70 years old in that range right now. Like, I don't know if he looked exactly like that, but I love that picture. I just love the picture of this dude. I don't know, he's about 70. Um, his eyes are intense, but his eyes also have a, a passion to it that is pulling in. And, and I'm keeping this image up because kind of our series image shows David as a middle-aged guy. And yet at this time, uh, David is in that 70s range. Why, why do I say that? Because look at the very beginning of chapter 23. Now, these are the last words of David. Now, I don't think that these are the last words of David on his, uh, on his uh, deathbed. I think these are the last words of David as king. So why do you think he's in the 70 range? Because uh, 2 Samuel 5 tells us that David took the throne. He became king at the age of 30. And it also, in that same verse, says that he reigned for 40 years. So 30 plus, okay, 70 Okay, um, that, that's the reality of it. And so if these are the last words, and I think they're relating to the last words as king, listen, four decades, 40 years as king. This dude has some knowledge, some experience. And, and by the way, God has given unto him something unique that we'll see in the text that we actually we already know about. But David, it's, it's kind of like, hey, David, you're stepping down as king. It's been 40 years. Any last words? This is what we're leaning into. Last words are meaningful words. First words are special. Aren't they parents? You know, and the little booger just kind of says something that you, you think is you. You know, like you said me first. They said dad first. Um, but those first words are just amazing. Um, Words asking someone out on a first date, those are pretty special. Uh, words of a key mentor in your life can be life-changing. Uh, words of a testimony or like when we have a baptism and people give words, man, I'm telling you, those can be life-impacting. Words have different moments and times and here we have last words. Last words 
of a man who's been king for 40 years. And these words should be heard intently. And these words should be grasped a hold of because these are last words of King David. So they're last words. Secondly, here are just some settings some groundwork before we read through this more. These are oracle words of David. In fact, let me show you. Now, these are the last words of David, the oracle of David. I'm going to read a little further so that we understand kind of the meaning of that idea. Go on. The oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. I think some of your translations have Israel, Israel's singer of songs. That's the idea. Verse two, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. Verse three, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. Hey, do you see what David is, is including here? The, the, the writer of, the human writer of 2 Samuel saying, these are the last words of David. And David begins by telling, these are oracle words. These are words that I am speaking, but are sourced by God. All right, that, that's what he's saying. The Lord is speaking. The Lord is, is saying this. Uh, that is a meaning too. That means more like, just tell some special words about us. No, this is God words. These are divine words. And I would point out that that even begins to set the tone. God has something to say. And it's more than just a history of a guy who sat as a king for 40 years. God has something to say in this. So these are oracle words. Third, these are psalmist words of David. Psalmist words. Second Peter 1.21 comes to mind. Um, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We've already, I've already mentioned these are oracle words that God is speaking through David. But whenever we see speaking in this, there is the, the fingerprints of, of the writer is in there. And here, David is writing as a psalmist. That's what David does best. Last week, we were talking about chapter 22, a, a looking back psalm. And I made mention that oftentimes we in our culture and how we think, you know, we, we love to bullet point and outline things. And we love just to tell what's the to-do list. And, and I, I said, we, we unsalm psalms oftentimes. We unsing the song. And psalms are songs. Psalms are, are called to drive us to have feeling and have uh, 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 see things and, and grab a picture of things. And sometimes when we turn it into a mechanical gearbox, we unsing it. In fact, oftentimes out of the Psalms, we should walk away going, whoa, that, that, that causes me questions. Oh, wait, wait, well, give me the answer. It leaves us unanswered in some way because that's what it's doing. It's drawing, it's pulling us, it's, it's moving us in. So it's psalmist words, so let's not unsing it. And fourth, these are forward words. I trust that'll come out here as we move along. These are forward words. Last Sunday in chapter 22, these are looking backwards. Uh, these are forward looking words. In fact, let me read the rest of the text. I'll begin in verse three. The God of Israel has spoken, David says. The rock of Israel, my rock, that was last Sunday, chapter 22. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light. 
like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Let it sing. Go with the psalm. You know, this morning, it's cold out. But, but coming here, I mean, man, the sun. And earlier today, when it's rising up, there's just something beautiful. There's just something hopeful. There's a dawn. There's a dawning of a new day. And even these people in this time, living where they lived, the nights were cool in the desert. And so when the sun comes up, think about that for many people who they don't have uh, HVAC systems in their house with thermostats to be able to set to control the temperature. They're just like camping in their normal day to day and the sun comes up and it's like, oh, thank you. Feel the warmth. Verse five, for does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men, worthless rulers are like thorns that are thrown away for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron in the shaft of a spear and they are utterly consumed with fire. I will tell you with this, these seven verses, there's a number of ways we could approach this, all of them are viable. One of the ways that we could approach this is entering a conversation just on the theological constructs, covenant theology, reform theology, dispensational theology, definition of kingdom, all that. And with seminary friends or, you know, those of you who really enjoy those conversations, we could do that. We're not going to do that today. We could venture into the textual analysis of this text and talk about where it comes from, some of the various views on it, and a couple of the word items. that We, we could do that, but we're not going to do that today. We, we could take this, and I could actually turn this into a hobby horse theology, or you could take this and turn this into a hobby horse subject, like, you know what? He just put it out there. Let's talk politics. Like, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? No. Uh, for some of you are like, Yes. But there's a central conversation that really I, I just want to key on today. And that's what's called theological search, uh, circles, the authorial intent. What is the intent of this put here? There's a number of things we could talk about. What's the intent of this being put? If you remember from the prior week, I had talked about how um, Bill Arnold made mention that the last four chapters of 2 Samuel, because they're really a very unusual grouping of, of words at the end of these four chapters. It's like, it makes no sense. You get done, if you read all the way through, you get done and you're like, that's it? Like, that's it? And he talks about how the last four chapters are this grouping together of key subjects that are answering the question, who may be suitable to serve as king of God's people? Who is the one that is suitable to serve as God's people? And that's the question here that I'm asking of these seven verses as I have with the prior one. So that's where I want to go. And I'm just going to answer it straight up on the table. Well, what is this telling us about the king that is suitable to serve? I'll answer. It's not David. But it is King Jesus. And it's pointing to that. Let's just take a little bit of time here and enjoy it. 
I'm going to begin with the final two verses and the unsuitable king. David talks about the unsuitable king. He says in uh, uh, verses uh, six and seven, but the worthless um, ruler, they're like thorns that are thrown away. They cannot be taken with the hand, but the man who touches them arms himself with iron, the shaft of the spear, they're utterly consumed with fire. He makes this association with the unsuitable king is the one who is like thorns. Now understand this, that when we think of thorns, we commonly think of thorns on a rose bush. You know, like there's a beautiful rose, but it's got the thorns on it. That's not what he's referring to. The context and the place where this is being written to in the desert has to do with thorn bushes. There's no roses. They're just thorn bushes and they are just a mess of a bush. The only thing that they're good for is for keeping animals and people away. And he relates that, talking about uh, this 70-year-old David is making this comment that there are Belial, there are godless, there are worthless rulers who they're like thorns. Thorns you have to stay back from. Stay back. Stay back from these. You can't get near them. Thorns damage unpredictably. You know, you kind of get close and you're kind of there and you're working, you're touching a certain part of it and then it's unpredictable with it. They pierce, they draw blood. That's the picture David is trying to put on the table here. They can only be approached with steel or fire. Remember, Psalms are poetry. They invite us to ponder by the way, if you're taking this right now and if you're applying this to government leaders around the world or as it is right now, I think you're taking it to a place it's not intended to go. And I think you'll see this here in a bit. He's just laying out for us. And by the way, note that in this conversation, uh, grammar, uh, it's third person uh, singular in this. It's talking men, it's talking they. It's they, it's, it's more than one. Hold that thought. The Lord is saying here through David, God's people beware. The unjust ruler, the thorny, the pain bringing, the blood drawing ruler that can only be removed by steel and cutting down and burning. That is not the suitable king for my people. By the way, remember they had Saul who didn't turn out so well. David who had some issues but he's pointing to, well, he's telling about there's, a, there's ones out there. They're not the ones. Next, there is a suitable king. There is a suitable king. I brought the grammar up because the grammar is really important, I think, in understanding the movement of this text. I go up to the middle of verse 3. When one rules justly over men. Now that could be understood as when one is a grouping of or like as an example of, not necessarily an individual. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, note verse four, this is critically important in a, in a poetry reality here. It says, he, it's singular. It's this third person singular, he, where down later in the poem, he is taking it to a plural. He begins with a he, and that's an intent. And, and sometimes in our English, we, we lose that movement of it. But he starts with a singular. Now, it's not talking about a group of he's. It's talking about there is a he. 
And he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. The suitable king, there is one. And it's a he. And it's a legitimate ruler over God's people. And then he adds verse five to this, which I think is the key to it. Without verse five, I think this could be a socio-political conversation. But with verse five, it's not. For it is not my house stand so with God. For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. He will not cause to prosper all my help and my desire. Listen, lean into this because this is not, I'm not tweaking this. I'm going to where he's going. He's like, listen, there is a he that's out there. And then David all of a sudden relates it to what God has promised him. What has God promised David? God has promised David that through his line and through his like, God will bring a Messiah. Hey, hey, friends, I know reading just kind of quickly through this, this is one of those texts where it's like, what's he doing? In fact, Karen again came to me this week and said, so what are you going to do with this one? And, uh, And as you... Having the time to be able to dig in this deeper, it's like, wait a second, this is more than just some some socio-political suggestion from a king who's been a ruler for 40 years. He's not just saying, listen, vote for good rulers, godly rulers, not for ruthless. It's not the conversation. David at 70 years old is taking a look and it's like, Dave, do you have anything to say as you step down? Answer, yes. There is a king that is coming that God has given in an everlasting covenant with me that will come through my line and like, and he will show up and look to him. Of all the things, of all the things in the world that he could say in his final words, in his, in his leadership role, in his words, of all the things that he could say, David has to communicate, I'm going to call it a king thing. I'm stepping down as king, but I want you to know that God has a king thing that's going on. And God has a king thing that's going on that he, he, he gave as an everlasting covenant there's through the line and the like of me that that king will show up one day. Eyes on that. David's mind was all about that. He's not like, man, it was a great run. Wow, being a king's tough. Wow, you know what? He could... what. His eyes are on what God has ahead in the coming of the king. By the way, this is something that we know throughout all of scripture with God using certain individuals to help us understand what God is doing. Adam and Eve. Hey, Adam and Eve, I'm going to create you. And I want to do a creation thing through you. Oh, by the way, and now that you're created, here, I have a task for you. I want you to subdue, I want you to have dominion, and I want to have more like you because that's what gives me glory. There's a creation thing with Adam and Eve. You come to Noah, and there's kind of a reboot thing. Like, you know, we're going to reboot this whole deal. By the way, I think one of the key reasons that God did that is to allow us to see that God is serious. 
Friends, this whole thing of created by God and following God is a serious deal. And God's like, you know what, let's do a reboot thing, kind of set a pattern in place so people see this is serious. And Noah uh, is, does a reboot thing from the Lord. We come to Abraham. Abraham, hey, Abraham, I want you because I want to create a nation out of you, a people unto my name um, who then move into Moses, Exodus chapter 19. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, move into Moses, Exodus chapter 19, where, where God tells him, I want my people who I've redeemed out to, to be a, a, a priest to the world. By the way, not a people unto themselves but a people sent out. In the early years here, when we first built this facility, we called this ascending base place, built off of that concept. This is not a place where we come all together just to huddle together and that alone. Man, we come together, we, we are able to sing and gather and encourage and, and foster our faith together and see God do works among, and then we're sent out. And, and then David, David, I want to do a king thing. Put them all together. Adam and Eve, I want to do a creation thing. Noah, I want to do a reboot thing. Abraham, I want to do a nation thing. Moses, I want to do a priest of the world thing. David, I want to do a king thing. And all of that is pointing to one that was going to be coming. Oh, and by the way, next Sunday, we begin talking about that one. And all eyes are on the king that David is talking about. Hey, if you would, would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter one? We're way back in the Old Testament. It's, it's uh, what, third of the way back in the Old Testament. We come all the way to the New Testament. Like a long period of time has happened. And David way back then was saying, hey, look, there's gonna be a king thing that's gonna take place. It's going to come through uh, 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 the line and like that God had promised through me. Uh, Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm actually going to have you read that to me, okay? Would you do that? And I'm going to help you so we don't sound like we're too crazy, all right? Uh, I'm going to start with the first word, and then you read it out loud all together. Ready? The. Oh, good job prior service didn't do so well. We had to do it twice. Hey, do you see a connect there? The very, very, very first verse of the New Testament ties Jesus to David, the son of David. David is looking for the Messiah. David is saying that God is going to do a king thing through me. All the time that we've seen David through all this time, of all the things he can talk about, of all the things that could be on the table to discuss, David talks about the king thing that's ahead. And it's a he. And he's coming. And then we come to Matthew 1. Uh, Turn to uh, Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. And I'll read this one to you. By the way, when you get there, if you have a red letter edition Bible, that's where the, the letters of, are, that are in red are words that Jesus spoke. It, it's red here, verse 16. It's red. That means that the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is now in the heavenlies. The Revelation chapter 1, 1, 
Here now we have in the very last chapter of the Bible, the very last almost near end paragraph of the Bible, and listen to what he says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of who? The bright morning star. Remember that? He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning to the very end in the eternal state. I am like that. Hey friends, the Bible is not this weird mix of random data telling just history facts. The Bible is this divine, God-given, God's word telling us what's up. And David in his day, he understood that God had said things through other ones. And David, I think, is adding to that saying, you know what? There's going to be a king thing. And the king thing is going to be a he thing. And when he comes and how it, it's like the dawn coming in the morning. And that's what David's hope was at 70 years old. David, got any final last words to say as you step down from the throne as king of Israel after 40 years? Yeah, look forward. Eyes on the king that's coming. What is your hope? Serious. What is your hope? Serious. I think if we were to answer that, it could be summarized probably in one word the majority of people would say happiness. And then if you go a little bit deeper into that, let's define that. What I mean by that words is I hope for happiness. What I mean by that is I hope for no adversities. We could even define that down a little bit deeper. I'm hoping for an event. I'm hoping for a certain time. I'm hoping for a certain circumstances. I'm hoping for a certain leader, a certain president, a certain whatever. I'm hoping for certain finances. I'm hoping for certain uh, percent of vaccines. I'm hoping for a certain relationship. I'm hoping for success. I'm hoping to be able to make enough money to, uh, I, I don't know, I'll figure that what enough is when I get there. And by the way, when you get there, you will never have enough to answer that. What is your hope? I've had to be asked this question myself this week. Because as I look at this text, I think David is pointing to what his hope is. 
of all the things that he could say, of all the things that he could encourage with, of all the things that he could put on the table for people to think. He's pointing them to, not to the worthless rulers. He's saying there's, a, there's just going to be a bunch of worthless rulers, but there is a he. There is a one. And that's what my hope is. I hope for happiness. I hope for no more adversities. That's interesting because what have been the title of the series? David raised through adversities, not out of. Oh, and then as an adult, David sustained in adversities, not taken out of. Listen, David was who he was because of the adversities and adversaries that God allowed in his life. Seriously, what if we began thinking totally upside down and the whole idea of the adversities and adversaries that we experience in the world as instead of them taking away from my purpose and my hope and my joy actually are the very things that are the opportunities that cause me to hope more in Christ and grow in Christ and give glory to Christ. I got to tell you, there's a part of me as I say that, I don't want that. I just want smooth sailing, you too. But in this time of redemptive history, as we are living, imagine with me, what if we saw life adversities as opportunities, as in opportunities and through opportunities that God is going to raise us and grow us for his glory, for our maturity. And then when the day comes that we see him face to face, it's like, booyah. No more adversities and no more adversaries. Instead of David asking or anchoring himself in happiness, David is anchoring himself in the hope of Christ. Is Christ your hope for real? I'm literally trying to answer that in my head. Easy to say. But is it for real? What's been your struggles this last year? What if they were viewed as a hope of Christ doing a work in and through? I've had half this year where I have not felt well half this year. What if the Lord has been using that to have me lean in more to him? Where is our hope? Starting next week, 
We're going to lean into the hope. Personally. We're going to see the promised hope, prophesied hope, the announced hope, the arrival of the hope. Oh, and by the way, the present reigning of our hope. I want to finish with a prayer from the Valley of Vision. You listen. Lord of all being, there is one thing that deserves my greatest care, that calls forth my ardent desires. That is that I may answer the great end for which I am made, to glorify thee who has given me being, and to do all the good I can for my fellow men. Oh, verily, life is not worth having if it be not improved for this noble purpose. Yet, Lord, how little is this the thought of mankind. Most men seem to live for themselves without much or any regard for thy glory or for the good of others. They earnestly desire and eagerly pursue the riches, honors, pleasures of this life, as if they suppose that wealth, greatness, merriment could make their immortal souls happy. Oh, but alas, what false, delusive dreams are those. How miserable ere long will those be that sleep in them. For all our happiness consists in loving thee and being holy as thou art. Oh, may I never fall into the tempers and vanities, the sensuality and folly of this present world. It is a place of inexpressible sorrow, a vast empty nothingness. Time is a moment, a vapor, and all its enjoyments are empty bubbles, fleeting blasts of wind from which nothing satisfactory can be derived. Oh God, give me grace always to keep in covenant with thee and to reject as delusion a great name here or hereafter, together with all sinful pleasures or profits. Help me to know continually that there can be no true happiness, no fulfilling of thy purpose for me apart from a life lived in and for the son of thy love. And all God's people said...